beginning with verse 11. Go ahead and stand as you get there. Now, if perfection had been unattainable, or excuse me, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be, or would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well, for the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth, Lord. And it never fails. And so we praise you for it, for the gift that it is, for the help that it is, and for the hope that it is for us. And we pray that it would be those things to each one of us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, this text this morning is one of joy and hope. As we look at and think about the fullness, fullness of Christ's priesthood, the writer of Hebrews contrasts the old Levitical priesthood with that of Christ's. And the point, as he goes through these verses before us today, is for all of us to see what Christ has accomplished and that what Christ has accomplished could never have been accomplished through the old system. And that ought to lead us to worship Him and adore Him more and more. 
The high priest had something that no other person could have, and that was access to God. Now, you think about that. No matter how much the Jewish people longed to draw near to him, he could only watch as the high priest entered. He would pass into the Holy of Holies behind the veil. You couldn't see him, but you knew he was there. But even that, the high priest in the old Levitical priesthood granted this access was only able to enter once a year. But what the text today teaches us is that Christ brings with his priesthood access for all who would draw near to God. So let's look at the comparisons that the writer is making. And first, let's start with the deficiency or insufficiency of the old Levitical priesthood. Verse 11, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? The old priesthood, the Levitical priesthood was insufficient and was replaced because it couldn't bring people to perfection. That's what the writer is saying here. If perfection had been attainable. Now that word perfection is significant. The meaning is to put someone in the position in which he can come or stand before God. What the writer is saying is that the old priesthood was powerless to do that. It couldn't give someone access to God. It couldn't give access to God and a right relationship with Him. You think about that for a moment. If one of us wanted to get from Columbus, Ohio to Jakarta, Indonesia, how would we go about doing that? Get on a plane, right? You can fly there. There's some hurdles we might have to jump over to do that. Passport, buy a ticket, but we can fly there. It's not that difficult. But before that was possible, before flying to Jakarta or any other country overseas was possible, what did you have to do? You have to get on a boat. And, and to get to the boat, you might have to drive a car to get to the coast where you would board this boat to take this boat across the ocean. It wasn't nearly as efficient or pleasant as flying a plane. The trip would have been long and it would have been difficult. Before cars, you would have to ride a horse or walk. But in all of those scenarios, you still got there. There's hope that you're going to get there. It may be less efficient. It may be not the most pleasant of journeys, but you get there. You leave knowing, I'm going to arrive in whatever destination. 
That's not how the old versus the new priesthood worked. The old system of the priesthood was never meant to work. It wasn't just a slower, less efficient way to get access to God and a right relationship with Him. It was insufficient, and it was always intended to be that. Sometimes in the Scriptures, we talked about earlier in chapter 7, we have types like Melchizedek, a type of Christ. Something or someone who is purposefully there as a foreshadowing of Christ who is to come. But sometimes we have institutions like the Levitical priesthood. And those are incomplete, flawed institutions that are there to point to the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ. It was meant to fail and to show that we fail, that our efforts are never enough. But what the, what the text is saying today is Christ is enough. That's not at all to say that the law was useless or insufficient. It did exactly what it was intended to do. Paul says that the law is what showed him he needed to be saved. It showed him that he was a sinner. It showed him that he could never do enough to save himself. Another way that we see that the old priesthood was insufficient was that the Levitical sacrifices covered over sin, but they didn't remove sin. You turn a little bit further in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says this, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Just a few verses later in verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And they never could. It was always there to point forward to what was perfect and effective and sufficient. The Levitical priesthood could never accomplish what we as humans needed. But it did point to the one who could and would. And that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning, Christ's full and perfect priesthood. Christ's priesthood is perfect. It can and does bring access to God, and it brings a right relationship with Him. How does it do that? What are the ways the writer gives? There are a few that we're going to look at. The first is this, His indestructible Life, verses 15 through 17. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who's become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Christ is superior because of his unique nature, an indestructible life. You consider the Levitical priesthood, the qualifications for that were all external. All external qualifications. You had to be a legitimate Levite, which meant that your mother had to be an Israelite, your father had to be a priest. 
You could have no physical defects. There were 142 physical blemishes that could disqualify you from being a high priest. Some of those are listed in Leviticus 21. However, Christ, the writer says, who comes after the order of Melchizedek, has one great qualification, which is not external but internal, the power of an indestructible life. Now, that doesn't mean he never died. We know the gospel story tells us that Christ died. It means that our priest died a death that could not hold him. A death that was followed by resurrection. To say that Jesus is a high priest on the basis of an indestructible life is to say that he's a high priest on the basis of resurrection. He will never die again. Before, verses 23 and 24... The former priests were many in number. They were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. There were many, many priests before Jesus. The reason there were many is because they kept dying. That's what we do. They had to be replaced. But Jesus, the writer is saying, is a priest who lives and reigns forever. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever and ever. Second, Christ is superior because he brings a better hope of access to God. Now, what hope is that? Consider this. First, In Christ, we have direct access to the Father through Him. We don't go through an earthly priest. It's unnecessary. The veil has been torn, and we have been invited into His presence. We draw near to God through Jesus, our perfect high priest. The writer says he's the guarantor of a better covenant, a hopeful covenant. You consider the psalms, the psalmists. When you think of those psalmists who live under the old Levitical priesthood, they knew far less than we do of the reasons for loving God. I'm not saying they... They didn't have reason to love God. They knew less than we do. Christ had not come. Christ had not died. Christ had not been raised from the dead. And yet, they longed to live all of their days in the temple. This longing to be in His presence, this longing to draw near to God, to have access to God, to see the beauty of the Lord. And yet they were under what is by comparison, as verse 18 says, a weak and useless system. But they longed for him. 
How much more, how much more should those of us who know Christ, who know the gospel, long to dwell in his presence? There's no greater or better hope than the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ. His priesthood is perfect because he is perfect, bringing access to God. The veil in the temple is torn, having once separated us from him, now inviting us into his presence through Jesus. Third, he is superior high priest because he is able to save to the uttermost. Verses 23 through 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. These verses are so wonderful for us. And we could spend weeks unpacking and rejoicing in the significance of verse 25 alone. There's no doubt that verse 25 is the main point here. Jesus Christ, our high priest, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You consider what is being said there concerning Jesus and why his priesthood is superior to all others. First, he is able to save to the uttermost. The word uttermost means complete, absolute, total, eternal salvation. You think about that. When you consider the gospel message, this is not a salvation that gets us part of the way there. Or half of the way there. Or maybe even most of the way there. But then you've got to pull your own weight. You've got to step in and you've got to do certain things. That's not the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that is spoken to us in the gospel. He saves to the uttermost. He saves completely, absolutely, totally, and eternally. That means no matter what you have done, if you draw near to God through Christ, He is able to save you completely and eternally. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Second, concerning his salvation, we see that he always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God. This is wonderful. Because the truth is, even people that we would consider to be great prayer warriors get sleepy or distracted. I certainly wouldn't consider myself a great prayer warrior, but I know those things are true of me. I get sleepy or I get distracted. I grow weary in prayer. I start thinking about to-do lists or other things that are going on. 
But what does it mean that Jesus is interceding for you and for me always? First, Jesus never, ever prays without believing. Now, imagine that. Imagine never praying without believing. We might pray without believing, but He never does. He never grows sleepy. He never grows weary in prayer. He never gets distracted. He never ceases. He never prays for the wrong thing. Imagine having a prayer life where you never pray for the wrong thing. That's Jesus interceding for you. We need and we have a high priest who intercedes for us, who goes to the Father on our behalf. He lives, it says, to make intercession for us. And ultimately, ultimately, that is rightness before God. Something we could never bring of our own. The writer goes on and gives us the how. How he is able to save to the uttermost. Verses 26 through 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Incredible. Jesus, our high priest, is able to save to the uttermost because he is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He is holy. He is set apart in all of his ways. He's set apart to God. He stands accepted before God. What does that mean for those who are hidden in him? He stands accepted. He is innocent. He is literally without evil. Jeremiah 17 verse 9, speaking of every single one of us, says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's true of every man except for Jesus. The text says he is holy, innocent, without evil. There's nothing but good in him. And he stands before God on our behalf. He is unstained, it says. The Old Testament priests had to be without imperfection externally. But what this means is Christ is unstained within himself. He came 
to this earth that is full of sin and imperfection, brokenness and injustice, and he was never stained by it. He is separated from sinners, separated from us. Now, the wonderful truth of the gospel is that he willingly came. He willingly became one of us. He is a descendant of Judah, the text says. He took on flesh. He is the God-man. In that, he is separate from sinful human nature in his character. And it says he is exalted above the heavens. He is completely set apart from us. He is not like us. He is perfect in all of his ways. And he is the one who is able to save to the uttermost. Because he and he alone is qualified. In all of this, all of who he is, the one who is perfect, made himself the sacrifice to save us to the uttermost made himself the sacrifice. Former priests continued to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. They can never take away sins. They merely covered them. Jesus made one sacrifice, which is himself. As the pure, holy, sinless sacrifice, he wasn't needing to make a sacrifice for his own sins. He was the perfect and pure and eternal sacrifice for all who would draw near to him. He has no need, it says in verse 27, like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. It's why Jesus on the cross could look and say, it is finished. The work is completed. It is done in Christ. He died once for all when he offered himself. What a glorious, glorious truth. Jesus who is holy and innocent and unstained and separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, gave himself to be punished for the sins of all of those who would draw near to him, to die in their place so that those who draw near to him could be counted, treated as if they were holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. What a glorious truth that is. Kent Hughes writes this, human priests, because of their sin, had to offer repeated sacrifices for their own sins and then repeatedly for the people. But Christ only had to do it once. He was and is infinite and is infinitely pure. 
in his infinity, he created everything, all the 100,000 million stars of the galaxy and the 100,000 million galaxies with as many or more stars. And when he hitched his infinity and infinite purity to mankind, his sacrifice was sufficient. And it follows, so is his priesthood. So our text concludes, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a blessed gift we have in Christ, a high priest forever who saves to the uttermost. Let me encourage you, no matter where you are as you come today, maybe you have known Christ and had a relationship with Him for years. Maybe you come this morning and you you don't know Him at all. Let me encourage you, hope in Him. Follow Him. You consider the idea of having access to God. Access to God means exposure to His glory, which could be a frightful thought. You consider Isaiah 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. His response to seeing is, is this cry of, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. John in Revelation, when he turns and sees the glorified Christ, falls on his face as a dead man. Access to God means exposure to His glory, and that can be a frightful thought, but it also means acceptance and forgiveness of sins, an invitation into His presence. Come and draw near to God. You're invited into a saving and eternal relationship with Him through Christ. And my encouragement would be that you draw near. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper and what more motivation or reminder do we need than these verses that we've just read? Verses 25 through 27, to read them again, consequently, He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus on the cross was not simply treated as the goats in the Old Testament. He was slaughtered as they were. His body was broken and his blood was shed. But more than that, he He bore the weight and the wrath for the sins of all of those who would come to him. What a great, great Savior. As we sing in just a moment, let's prepare our hearts and consider his body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our 
sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. You are the holy, innocent, perfect one. And you laid your life down and were treated as a sinner for us. So we praise you and we thank you and we want to honor you even in In these moments, as we sing to you, we want to honor you with our hearts. We want to remember your body broken. We want to remember your blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so help us. And in doing that, that help us to praise you because you are worthy of all of our praise. In Christ's name, amen.